What do you think is the largest faith group in the United States? Catholic? Nope. Uh, white evangelical? Nope. It is actually the nuns. The religious news source did a study, and in that they did this, when they did this survey, they discerned that 25% of Americans now identify as non, making them the largest faith group in the United States. Faith group in the sense that they do not have faith. Think about that. One out of four. There's a really good likelihood that either you or someone you know is a non. Well, how did they become a non? If they were at one time a Christian, what was it that propelled them away from Christianity to identify as being a non? Well, there's, if you Google it, you'll find a wide variety of reasons. One article I found discussed, um, the title of the article was 25 Reasons Why People Walk Away from Church. However, in this survey, they discovered that the religiously unaffiliated fall away from their faith, not because of any negative experience they've had, but rather, quite simple, they stopped believing. That's it. They stopped believing. However, one of the things that I thought about is it, before you can stop believing, I don't think it's like flipping a switch. All of a sudden you go from believing, believing, believing to, whoop, now I don't, I don't believe. No, I don't think so. I think what happens is doubt comes in. So it's believing and then doubt comes in and doubt kind of takes root. And then over time, it leads to not believing. Well, there seems to be evidence to support that. Because Barnard Research in 2017, they discovered that two-thirds of Christians have faced doubt at some time in their Christian experience. They've questioned what they believe about the religion, and they've questioned what it is they believe about God. What's fascinating for me is in this Barnard Research they said that of these individuals who have experienced doubt, 40% say they experienced doubt in the past, but they worked through it. And that one kind of shocked me, made me pause. What do they mean by worked through it? Does that mean they became unbelievers or doesn't mean they worked through it in that they had the doubt and then they somehow eventually were able to come back to believe the way they always have believed. Is that a possibility? That's how you work through it. What's interesting, though, is that in order for doubt to arise in one's life, more than likely, you have to be exposed to new ideas. Exposure, either directly or indirectly, creates this sense of new information and trying to make sense of it with the old information, the old belief system, and then for many people, that creates doubt. The individuals that experience the highest level of doubt when it comes to Christianity are those that have been in college. Why? 
because they have encountered a wide variety, an array of ideas, philosophies, and worldviews. And because of that, it has allowed them to be exposed to new ideas and, as a result, experience doubt. A large portion of those individuals that do experience doubt end up leaving the church. I found this to be quite true. For the first 30 to 35 years of my life, I had doubts. I would read something or someone would tell me something and it, it would raise a question in my mind. That, that's true. But I really didn't pursue the doubt. Acknowledged it, yes. Pursue it, no. Why? Because I wasn't comfortable. And to be honest, I was afraid. I was afraid that if I pursued my doubts, those questions, that it would take me in a direction that I did not want to go. But eventually, I couldn't continue to ignore and dismiss those doubts. Eventually, I had to face them. To me, that exposure that I had to new ideas occurred in two ways. Number one, a careful reading of the Bible. And then number two, I started reading secondary literature in a wider way. Now, for me, education didn't do that as much, that exposure, because I went to a Christian fundamental liberal arts college, and then a Christian fundamental seminary. That's, I got exposed to. So yeah, I got exposed to other people's ideas, but those ideas were quickly followed up with the professor telling us the negatives about those beliefs. They didn't talk much about the positive. Instead, they would expose you to that idea, and then they would tell you all the negatives about it. They very rarely, if ever, talked about why this view was valid or perhaps even more valid than the ones that they were teaching. So for me, it wasn't so much education as it was on my own. And this careful reading of the Bible, it really hit me in, in just the first two chapters, when I read Genesis 1, and I had read it many times, but this time when I read it, I, was, I slowed down. And I paid attention to what I was reading. I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down the order of creation in Genesis 1. Wrote it down. And then I went to Genesis 2. And again, I paused and decided to read it slowly. And as I did, with that same piece of paper, I drew a line, and I now I had a, another column. And in that column, I wrote the order of creation, according to Genesis 2. They are different. In Genesis 1, man, woman, are created last. In Genesis 2, they're created towards the very beginning especially man. Those are big differences between those two. Now, there have been many who have tried to bring those together and come up with reasons. But for me, when I hear those arguments, what I see is arguments trying 
to persuade people to see it a particular way rather than allowing the text itself to tell us how it's to be understood. The other thing I found out in Genesis 1 and 2 is the name for God. In Genesis 1, you find one name for God used throughout. Then you move to Genesis 2, and you find another name for God used throughout. And if you think it's just one author, then you have to ask yourself, why did the author switch and their names for God? More than likely, the way I believe now is these were two creation accounts that existed independently of each other. But eventually, in time, they came together, and despite those differences, they allowed them to exist side by side. That says a lot about the individuals, either the writer or the editors, who put this all together. They didn't mind the differences. They didn't mind the discrepancies. And for us, for me, those created doubts. For them, they were quite comfortable with it. They didn't mind the dialect. They didn't mind the differences. So that was the first exposure I had, was I really slowed down, and when I read the Bible, I really paid attention to what I was seeing. And all of a sudden, I saw things that I had been exposed to before, but I saw them in a whole new light. And because of that, it raised a lot of questions for me about the Bible. And because it raised those questions, the doubts begin to arise. What was the Bible? Was it really from God? And if so, there was a lot of questions I had about why God would say and allow these ideas to come and appear there. For example, in the Old Testament, God does evil. Plain and simple, God does evil. Why? Why would God? Is that true? So those are the kind of things that the doubts came about. So the other one that happened was I exposed myself to a wider reading. And when I read wider, there were two books in particular that really shook me in this journey. The first one was written by James Barr, and it was entitled Beyond Fundamentalism. I remember as I read that book, I was continually amazed by what I was seeing. There were things there that made sense, but I had never been exposed to them. That was probably the most, you know, it shaked my world. It kind of caused this kind of like a little quake inside of me. The other book was Rescuing the Bible from Fundamentalism by Spong. And it's a good book, but that, that James Barr book, that was the one that once I read it, I couldn't unread it. It was in my mind. And with that came a great deal of doubts. Now, for me, the doubts that I experienced were not like, if, if you think of my beliefs, my faith as this Voss and taking a hammer and smashing it. it. It wasn't that like that. It wasn't this one-time quick thing that, that took place. Rather, what it was, was almost like what happens to a sidewalk when it cracks. 
one of the most indestructible construction materials out there is concrete. Now, it's, it's strong. It's reliable. The only thing is that concrete will expand and contract when it's subjected to the changes of, of weather. Where this happens, especially, is sidewalks because they are sitting on the ground and as the air temperature changes, the ground itself, the temperature shifts. And when that takes place, it can cause a buckling or a cracking in the sidewalk. Well, one of the ways that they try to avoid these cracks developing is they actually put in cracks intentionally in the sidewalk. They are called expansion joints. And what this does is this provides the concrete with room to expand and contract without damaging the integrity of that slab. So what does this have to do with me in doubt? Well, I think what I experienced was instead of this one time, one thing that shook my faith and belief, the doubts that I were having were like a root growing underneath a sidewalk. At first, wasn't even really aware of it. Those questions, exposure to new ideas, yes, but they were kind of lying underground. But over time, they begin to grow. And as those roots grow underneath the sidewalk, eventually they are going to push up against the earth and the earth is going to push up against the concrete and it will eventually crack that concrete no matter how strong it is. And that's what happened. Exposure to new ideas created doubts. And from those doubts, I begin to experience cracks in my beliefs. Again, like I said, it didn't happen all at once. It's like a little crack appeared. And then over time, that crack got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then once the crack developed, then there was a shift. And instead of the, the sidewalk being flat, now it has this little uh, bump in it as the ground has settled and shifted. What I realized is that there had not been, in my education, there had not been an intentionality of creating expansion joints to allow for the expanding and contracting of ideas. It was almost as if the belief system given to me was this sidewalk, this slab of concrete with no cracks, no, no lines whatsoever in it, just pure, straight concrete. And once I begin to have those doubts, that root begin to develop, that's when the cracks happened. But what con con contractors know, those that work in construction know, is that if you create those lines, those expansion joints, then as things shift and expand and contract, they will adjust. And that didn't happen for me. And I think that's one of the ways that some people are able to deal with doubt is it's, they've already been exposed to it. They're familiar with it. They've raised with questions. They're familiar with the questions. But 
I realized I wasn't the only one raised that way. I found an article from the Billy Graham Evangelical Association about doubt. And you'll see the link at the bottom of the show notes. And the writer says the following, It doesn't matter where our doubts come from. The important thing is what we do with them. You catch that? It's okay to have doubts, but what are you going to do with them? Now, they said there are some people that savor their doubts and they enjoy them. And now quoting, they aren't really interested in finding answers to their questions or having their faith grow. Their doubts are simply an excuse to keep away from God. Wow. What a view of doubt. Doubt is seen as something that is negative. Doubt is seen as something that it's an inherent problem with the person who has the doubt. So what is the proper way to do with that? How are you supposed to handle doubt? Well, they suggest three things. Number one, face your doubts honestly. Ready? And then commit them to God. Well, what if your doubt is in the existence of God or the character of God? Then what happens to you? What do you do with that? Well, there seems to be the assumption that whatever doubts you have, if they keep you away from God, if you question God's character, if you question the existence of God, that's on you. That's your problem. That's your flaw. That's you not having enough trust, you not having enough faith. Second way to deal with your doubt is saturate your mind and heart with the, ready, truth of God's word, that is the Bible. But again, like for me, my doubts started from reading the Bible. The more I read it, the more doubts I had. Well, again, you, if you have these doubts, they're, they're okay, but you can't question the Bible. You can't doubt the Bible. Because if you doubt the Bible, then the results of that are you're going to doubt the existence of God or the character of God eventually. Why? Because for Christianity, the source of knowledge of God is the Bible. So what the Billy Graham Evangelical Association is saying is basically you can have doubts But don't let those doubts be in the arena of God or the Bible. Because if that happens, then it's on you. And you are looking for a way to deny the existence of God and pursue your own selfish witness or your own selfish desires. Third reason, seek answers to your questions from wise and godly people. (laughs) Again, think about it. If you're questioning the Bible, if you're questioning God, and then you go to someone who is a godly person, more than likely someone in in your spiritual community or in your family, and you express those doubts, you're taking a gamble. You're flipping a coin. You're hoping, you're hoping that they will actually hear you out. You see, a wise and, quote, godly person is someone who already has a bias toward 
orthodoxy or what would be considered the truth or proper belief. And if you question that, do you think they're going to be open to receiving and going, yeah, those are great questions. You know, sit with those and, and pursue those. And if you come to an answer that is different than what we believe and what you believe, well, good for you. No, that ain't going to happen. More than likely, you will eventually be made to feel as if you no longer belong. Doubts are challenging. For me, my doubts made me very uncomfortable. I was going against my heritage. I was pursuing something that eventually would impact the way in which I raised my daughters. And in turn, how they would end up, if they had children, how they would raise their kids when it came to religion and Christianity in particular. So the only way that I was able to live with my doubts was to go back to the sidewalk, learn how to allow cracks in my belief system, learn how to tolerate and eventually appreciate unanswered questions. So for me, one of the ways I did that was I envisioned in my imagination taking a particular doubt that I had and I would deal with it, you know, reflect on it, think about it. And then I would take it and I would place it on a jar and I would tighten the lid on that jar and then I would set it up on a shelf. And then as I lived life, as I read, as I experienced new ideas, as I had new experiences, I would come back and I would pull that jar down off the shelf and I would open it up and I would play with that. I played with these doubts and these new ideas. There were some jars and still are jars that are on the shelf. But then there's other jars that never had to be up there again. I was able to resolve those questions. For a lot of Christians, the way to deal with doubt, they say that doubt is good. The reason doubt is good is because it will make your faith stronger. That's, but that's the whole thing that it just, it makes your faith stronger. What if it doesn't? Well, again, more than likely, we blame the person that isn't willing to conform anymore. And this is one of the processes of deconstructing one's beliefs, dealing with doubt. You know, it's amazing to me over the last few years in the political reason arena, how we have embraced conspiracy theories without a doubt. There are people still today who believe certain things that the evidence says is not true. We know in our lives how to deal with doubt or how not to deal with it. We choose to either put on blinders or to take them off. 
I know that doubts continue to be a part of my life. And there are some doubts that right now I'm not willing to completely resolve. And there's others that I have. I'm not sure where you are. I would like to know. If you're interested, I would love to hear where you're at in your spiritual journey, where doubts have been a part of that. Easiest way to reach us is, you'll see this email at the bottom of the screen, media at beatitudeschurch.org. Or you can comment on Facebook, YouTube. We'll look at those. Perhaps I can learn something from you and how I, in my journey, I can continue to deal with doubt and continue to have the courage to expose myself to new ideas, new experiences, and take those and bring those into my life and see how they impact what I believe because what we believe truly affects how we live our lives. I hope this day is treating you well. And no matter what you're doing, that you're safe out there. Until we meet next time, take care of yourself. Bye.